All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 53 of the DFO Rundown at dailyfaceoff.com. And of course, uh, wherever you want to get your podcast, we thank you so much for listening to us and uh, recommend it to any of your friends. We'd really appreciate it. I'm Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli coming to you live as always from the woodjerseys.com studio. Boston Bruins behind me. Frank, of course, has his uh, NHL product, Toronto Maple Leafs in front of him. You can get yours at woodjerseys.com. They've got the new Seattle Kraken. They have lots more coming. They're going to have all 32 teams uh, very soon. Like they got a brand new plant coming. It's unbelievable. So it's a fantastic piece of art for your home office, for your work office, for your friends. Get it at woodjerseys.com. And uh, we just want to let everybody know, uh, we pre-recorded this uh, last week and uh, we are going to have Chuck Fletcher, the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers on the show, right from your hometown, Frank. And man, uh, he's made a lot of changes uh, this season. You got Atkinson, of course, uh, their back end, massive changes with the big trades with the Reese line in and Ellis. Uh, they signed Keith Yandel. This, uh, this is going to end, of course, then Warren Jones and goal. Uh, they, they've made a lot of moves, Frank. What's the, what's the feel in Philadelphia? I know Flyer fans can be a tough crowd at times. Uh, what's their expectations for the Flyers? 
I mean, expectations were so high last year, which made it such a disappointing campaign. Like, you know, we talked about with Chuck Fletcher, you know, the fact that they got to game seven against the Islanders in the second round, everyone thought this team was sort of on that upward trajectory, especially with some of the young players they had, they made some changes to their core. And I think everyone's curious now, how is the back end going to look? How's that going to impact Carter Hart? Can Carter Hart bounce back? Uh, what kind of impact does Atkinson have? I mean, this is a guy that, you know, at one point is a 30 goal scorer and, you know, to me, uh, I'm actually most curious, and we did ask Chuck Fletcher about this, what happens with some of the younger guys that, you know, you mentioned Cam York, uh, how do they get a deal done with Joel Farabee? If he's in the 70 point range and, and hitting 30 goals next season, Joel Farabee is going to become a pretty expensive player pretty quickly. Do they get a deal done this summer to try and hedge their bet there? Uh, there's still probably some changes to come for the Flyers. So uh, I'm really curious to see how it all plays out. Yeah, and then you got some RFAs, Sanheim, and of course, Carter Hart, who need contracts. They're both going to get contracts, and uh, we'll talk to, to uh, Chuck about that. We uh, didn't even ask about the Sonk Daddy himself, Keith Yandel. I mean, <laughs> what a perfect power play uh, quarterback for your team to, to throw in the lineup, a power play specialist uh, on a, a really inexpensive deal as he looks to keep the Ironman streak alive. Oh, and, and also, if you're a young Cam York there's not, there's not many better offensive-minded defensemen to learn from and see how they play the game if you're young York uh, to watch Keith Yandel. And uh, you're right, uh, moves the puck around. The uh, the Flyers' power play, I think, is is something that they they want to improve on. And, uh, and obviously, Yandel will help that. And they've revamped their top four defense. So I'm intrigued to look. I think Carter Hart's poised for a bounce-back season. I had him on my radio show uh, a few weeks ago. He was very honest about how he, you know, it, the, the past season, he kind of felt isolated uh, a little bit. He's part of he put some blame on himself that maybe he didn't use his teammates as much, but they weren't they weren't supposed to hang out. Uh, and so you're a single guy. Probably you know, felt pretty isolated on the ice too. Uh, I think Chuck Fletcher <laughs> pointed out at a certain point they gave up the most goals in the league off the rush. Like yeah, literally isolated on and yeah. off the ice. Yeah, no, so that's fair. So let's get to the GM of the Philadelphia Flyers, Chuck Fletcher. Our next guest is a Harvard graduate. In a past life, he was also an NHL player agent. But for most of the last 14 seasons, you have known him as an NHL general manager, including parts of the last four with the Philadelphia Flyers. Chuck Fletcher, welcome to the DFO Rundown. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well, guys. How are you? How are you doing, Frank? We're good. Uh, so, yeah, we're just uh, getting – we're waiting into August here. And it's funny, you know, I was looking back at your – your tenure with the Flyers, and it, it hit me at some point that this season upcoming is actually going to be your first full 82-game season. How is that possible? <laughs> I know. I was laughing the other day that, you know, this is my fourth season here, and yet I don't feel that we've had one, one normal season. You know, the world's been turned upside down for the last 18 months or so for everybody. But, uh, no, we're looking forward to – having a full 82 game season all going well. And, and uh, it's been, uh, you know, at least some kind of normal off season um, with respect to at least having all the events and having them in the summer, as opposed to the fall, like we had last year. So it, you know, it's, it's exciting, but uh, you know, it's, it's, there's still so much uncertainty and there's still so many things to, I guess, see what happens with respect to the variant and, and uh, how quickly will people come back into the buildings. And we're all hopeful and optimistic, but, you know, hopefully there's better days ahead here. So as fans come back into the Wells Fargo Center, what can they expect from your team this season? There's lots of changes. 
And obviously your mandate heading in was, was to, to beef up your blue line. You've done that with uh, Rasmus Ristolainen. You've done that with Mr. Ellis from Nashville. What, you know, how different is this team going to look and feel and, and play next season? What's well, going to look different for sure. We've, we've changed a lot of names. We brought new players in, you know, I, I believe we'll be a team that will defend better than what we did last year. And we were, we were terrible last season to be, you know, to be frank. I mean, we, we didn't keep the puck out of our net very well. So I, I think uh, not just by beefing up our defense core, but I think we'll have a, a better emphasis on playing the right way. You know, I expect Carter Hart's going to bounce back and, and have a good season for us. So we're going to be a team that uh, that defends better and we still have, you know, some good young talent up front. So we expect to be a competitive team. We expect to be a team that, that uh, plays much better than what we did last season. Chuck, you, you, as Frank mentioned, 14 years as a GM, you learn a lot of things. And then, of course, you know, your father, I'm sure you learned a lot from him as well. To make trades and revamp a team, it's not just that simple. It's, it's a long, drawn-out process. Take us kind of through your mindset and the organization's mindset when you, you decided to really revamp with Ellis and Reese Line and Keith Yandel, maybe even uh, rookie Cam York's going to play more. So kind of tell us, what was it about the new guys that you felt were necessary and uh, what you feel they're going to make specifically in Ellis and Reese Line and you a better defensive team? Yeah, no, I Jason was a long, uh, long process for sure. I, I think part of it was we felt that we had to address our needs through the trade market as opposed to free agency. Uh, free agency is a bit of a crapshoot. You never know if the player is going to want to even sign with you. You don't know what the price point will be. And in particular, with a player like Ryan Ellis, we felt we were acquiring a, a top two defenseman and somebody that uh, had cap and cost certainty. It's a number we could plug in for the next six years. Um, you know, a very reasonable number, in our opinion, uh, for the role he plays. And, and so we went about trying to get that top, uh, top pairing defenseman. Um, Ellis was one of our targets and quickly became the top target for us. And we worked hard with David Poyle on that. He, he was looking to do some different things there and uh, get a little bit younger. And he has a pretty deep defense core. So it was a pretty good fit both ways. And, and after that, uh, you know, we just felt there were some players available that typically aren't available. And, 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 and that, I mean, a player like uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, it's difficult to get those big, strong, physical right shot defensemen. And Ristolainen is a player that had potentially been available for parts of the last two or three years, but the cost was always uh, prohibitive or, or Buffalo had pulled back. And, and uh, speaking with other general managers, I know several teams have been trying to get uh, Rasmus over the last few years. And, and the timing just kind of broke for us. We, we paid a price and we're cognizant of that, but it's also hard to get a, you know, those 26 year old big right shot D. So that was our focus. We felt if we could add two right shot D or, or two top four D that could play the right side that we would really uh, surround Provorov and Sanheim the way we wanted to and, and, and give our defense core a lot more depth and, and better balance. And, and we felt we were able to do that. When, when you look at a player like Reese DeLinen, like, you know, he, he's had some tough times in Buffalo, more as an organization, I think, than an individual. When, when you're playing the toughest minutes and, and your team isn't that good, I, I don't care who you are. I, I think, you know, your stats and your analytics, your information, whatever term you want, aren't going to look uh, at all good. So what is it about the skill set specifically of, of Reese Linen that, that you feel is, is going to anchor your top four? What do you like best about him as an individual player stats and statistics aside? 
Well, we, you know, we like his size and we like his, um, his competitiveness. And I think, um, you know, to have a big, strong physical defenseman on your club is important. We think we have some guys that can move the puck. We have some guys that can play power play. We, we have guys that defend well. We have lots of different pieces. And, and in Ristolainen, we're thinking, you know, we're acquiring a guy here can, who can do a little bit of everything, but, but doing it in, in a 220-pound, 225-pound uh, frame. And, and the right, you know, the right uh, shot was an important component. He's got a heavy shot. He can play on the power play. Uh, he can kill penalties. You know, it, it's an interesting case study, Ristolainen, and, and time will tell. But I believe uh, AV will be a six-head coach in, in, in the last eight years. So there's been a lot of instability. Uh, clearly, they're a franchise that's, um, you know, looking to reset and continue to grow with young players. And, you know, we're hopeful by bringing them in and putting them in a – in a role that he can thrive in where he doesn't have to uh, be the main guy. He could be, be a part of a group of four in our top four and a group and a, a part of a group of six overall and play a specific role and uh, in a little bit more uh, stable environment with some veteran coaches that, uh, you know, we feel we can get the best out of him, and, and we think he's excited for that challenge. Chuck, I wanted to rewind 10 months to last offseason and just in, in your public comments and also, um, you know, touching base with you throughout the offseason. I know you had felt like you were in a lot of different conversations then, but for whatever reason, you know, the deals didn't come to fruition then. And, and you know, we, we fast forward to this offseason and the season plays out the way that it did. I hate using the word pressure because I think every manager, no matter the market, is feeling, you know, that that pressure to win and the pull to win. Was, you know, you mentioned the price to pay for a guy like Ristolainen. and was there was, you know, and being cognizant, cognizant of that, if I could spit that out, you know, is it was it time this offseason to kind of make sure that deals that you were talking about actually ended up getting done this time to put the pedal down and, and really make some change with this core? Well, yeah, there's no question, Frank, you know, last offseason, even after losing Niskan and we still felt we were a good club. Uh, we were coming off a season where we got to game seven of, in the second round against the Islanders. And prior to the uh, pandemic, prior to the pause, we were arguably playing as well as any team in the league. So, you know, we knew it was a big hole, but we thought we had a lot of good pieces and we thought we would play much better than what we did. And, and so maybe there wasn't the same urgency uh, to make the moves that we did this off season. Clearly this past season, uh, we had a tough year. Again, I, I don't think our club is as bad as our record indicated. I think our individual pieces, our individual talent levels better than how we played yet. Our record was our record. We, you know, you, that, you are what you are. So uh, we felt uh, that we needed to make change this summer. Uh, and uh, you know, again, there was more urgency, but also the reality was different. You know, our record was different. We didn't make the playoffs. We didn't get to the game seven in the second round. So um, you know, clearly things were different. And, and I also think for whatever reason, uh, teams were more willing to make trades this year. Maybe it was a flat cap again. Uh, maybe teams are looking to try to do different things to, to get into the free agent market or to change a piece here or there. And some of the opportunities we had this summer weren't there last summer. Ryan Ellis wasn't available last, last off season. Ristolainen wasn't available last off season. Uh, maybe there were some different names, but but for whatever reason, there were good players that, that were available that we felt would help our team, and and we were willing to pay the price. 
When you talk about keeping pucks out of the net, obviously the goaltender is a big part of that. And, and there was lots of focus and talk uh, about Carter Hart and, and the changes you've made on your back end will certainly make his life uh, hopefully a little bit easier. You know, where do things stand with Carter Hart with regards to his next deal? And, and also you bring in a netminder and Martin Jones. What did you see in Jones uh, to, you know, sort of play in, in tandem and in, in cooperation with Carter Hart? How, why is he a fit? Um, you know, and especially for a guy that's coming off, you know, three mostly tough seasons in San Jose. Yeah, well, well first of all, with, with Carter and, and even Travis Sandheim, those are our two RFAs, and we continue to speak with their, with their agents. Um, you know, the focus, the initial focus of our offseason was on, you know, the expansion draft, the draft, free agency, making trades, things that you have to do within a two- or three-week period or, or – they're not there. And uh, so we've sort of uh, pushed some of these conversations with our RFAs back a little bit, not because they're not important to us, but just with the time sensitivity and how, you know, how you have to get things done to, to get them done. But hopefully we can make progress quickly and get deals for both those players done. With respect to Martin Jones, you know, it, it's interesting, uh, you know, his underlying five on five numbers were, were better than uh the numbers that our two goalies had last year, I, I know his numbers haven't been where, where they were uh, three or four years ago, and there's no question about that. I can't speak to a situation in San Jose, but he's a guy that's played a lot of hockey that has been a number one. And uh, what we hope is that uh, playing in a tandem with Carter, um, A, they can push each other and help each other. But this is a guy that uh, – you know, if, if Carter was injured or if, if circumstances necess, you know, necessitated it, he could step up and play a lot of games. And he's done that before. And uh, our goaltender coach, Kim Dillabo, uh, worked with uh, Martin when he first broke in with the Kings and knows him and has a track record with him. So we're hopeful that we can, you know, by maybe taking his role back a little bit, taking his minutes back a little bit, to allow him to refocus on his game, get his game going, hopefully behind a, a strong defense core and a, and a, and a team that plays a better in front of both guys. And that, uh, that Carter Hart, uh, Martin Jones tandem will give us quality goaltending. And, and, and again, he's got a ton of experience and he's a guy that can play big minutes if necessary. And lots of guys can play well in a, in a backup role playing maybe once a week, but, um, you know, to have those guys that have been a starter, uh, I, I think uh, those type of players can be invaluable. Jay, if I could just ask one more a quick follow-up about the goaltending. In an ideal world, Chuck, how do you see the split playing out between Jones and Hart? My understanding was just talking to people around the team that, you know, there may be, you know, a target of more of a split than anything else. Is that accurate? Well, ba I, you know, based on our schedule, our schedule's better than last year, uh, but it's with the Olympic break uh, put in. I mean, I believe we have 16 or 17 back-to-backs. We have innumerable three and fours. We have one stretch of five and seven um, in, in early December, I believe. So it, it's a grind of a schedule. And I'm, I'm not sure that anybody could reasonably expect to play more than 50 games in, in, a, in, a, in a schedule like that. So I, th I think the split could be 35-45. It could be 30-50. And that will depend on health and how guys play. But I, I really think you need a tandem in a schedule like this, maybe in a, in a more normal season. You know, you could have a goalie play 55 to 60, and I'm sure there's some goalies that could play 60. But 
it, it's it's a, it's a tough schedule, and um, so we're you know we want to make sure we have two guys that are capable of playing. And look, Carter, we believe in Carter. We believe it's, he's our goalie of the future, and and hopefully our goalie of the present. Um, but uh, we're going to need two guys, and and uh, we've we've seen it the last couple of years, and. And, and looking at it now, I think we're clearly going to need two two guys to win games for us this year. And however it plays out, it will play out. But again, I, I'd be surprised if anybody could play more than 50 and do it well this year with the schedule that we have. Chuck, I had Carter Hart on my show a few weeks ago, and, and he talked very openly about how he struggled uh, this past season, uh, you know, with the pandemic and and not really socializing a lot. He, you know, his family wasn't able to visit him. He lived on his own, and he's he kind of put a little blame on himself. He says, I probably didn't rely on my teammates as much because we were encouraged not to hang out. When you look at the human element as a general manager, how much of that factor goes into your evaluation? You know, it's a young player. It's 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 something that he'd never had to deal with before in his career. Most players had never had to deal with it. How, how much is that? And what, what did you and the organization maybe learn from that, that that can help you on just like the human element interaction factor? Well, it, it was a, it was a grind on a lot of people and, and, and I've made these comments before. Clearly, some teams dealt with the pandemic better than others. Uh, I'm not sure we did the best job of any team in the league, that's for sure. We had had a big outbreak that ripped through our team. And, uh, you know, we had uh, some young players that were living on their own that maybe got isolated a little bit and, and maybe didn't have the same support they normally would. Uh, you know, players uh, weren't able to really get together as much, whether, you know, when we were at home or on the road. So I, I think it was a difficult environment, particularly when you were struggling. I think if, if as a team or as an individual, things were going well, you could probably manage it a little bit better. But when, when adversity hit and we started losing games and, uh, you know, it was tougher. It was maybe tougher to, to have the conversations or have the uh, interaction or to do the things you would normally do to, to maybe pull your group together. So, uh, clearly, we were aware of, of, of some of the struggles you mentioned with respect to Carter. We, we tried to work through them, but it was a difficult year. And, and uh, I, I think it's a one-off. I think it was a, a challenging year. Um, I think things will get better. I, I believe they'll get better for all of us, but I, I believe in Carter's talent and I believe he'll bounce back. And the adversity he dealt with last year will help him going forward. And Clearly, we know that there's certain things we have to make sure we're doing to help these young players and, and get ahead of it. And, and we'll make some of those adjustments as we go forward. Do you feel, Chuck, because I look at your roster, you know, you've also got Braun and Yandel and Moran, and then, of course, young Cam York. Is today's NHL now just the wear and tear on guys? Uh, you know, the last few seasons, there's only been an average of like 5.8 defensemen per team who even play 50 games. Do you need eight defensemen? nowadays in the NHL to, to really compete long-term and into the postseason? I think you need 10. I, I really do. And uh, we also have Adam Clandening and, and Nick Sealer that we signed. And I think they have 200 regular season games between the two of them. And they certainly can challenge and, and play games and are experienced professional defensemen. But you, you do need depth and there will be injuries. And, and again, we have that stretch of five and seven that I mentioned earlier, that, that's a tough stretch. It's tough for anybody to play five games and seven nights and there's going to be wear and tear and, and it potentially could lead to injuries depending on, uh, you know, how your players are allowed to recover and, and how you build the, the practice time around it. And, and there's, there's going to have to be a lot of thought put into how we practice, how we rest, how we travel, how we recover 
uh, to allow these players to play the most games possible. But, you know, you might get lucky and, and only need eight, but uh, I think you have to count on needing nine or 10 most seasons. And uh, switching to the forward group, when you when you make that trade Voracek for Atkinson, um, you know, there's, there's just straight up any old school NHL trade. The conversations between you and Elaine Vigneault, is, is that a key part of that to ensure, hey, if I can move out Voracek, I'm bringing in Atkinson, are you comfortable? You know, how much does the coach play into that, uh, a trade like that where it's one for one? You know, there's a little bit of salary cap implications, but it's more so we're just looking to to tweak our our, our top nine with those two guys. And, and where did you guys feel that Atkinson's going to fit in best? You know, that, that uh, certainly has spoke with Elaine and our, our scouts. We had a lot of organizational meetings to kind of build our wish list and, and look at the needs that we wanted to fill. I, I think it was even more so just a conversation with Jake, with Jake Voracek. And we had several during the season and, and even into the off season. And, you know, I think it, at some point it's just time, time for change. And, and I, I feel that Jake um, felt he would be better served getting to a new team and having a fresh start. And, and after the year we had, we were clearly looking to, to make change and it wasn't all Jake Voracek's fault. And, it, you know, there were certainly other moves that could have been made, but this is the move that lined up and, and it lined up with Columbus where we could get a player that uh, a little bit different type of player than Jake. I mean, I'm not sure there's many players with Jake's hockey sense and playmaking ability in that type of frame. I mean, he, he's a special talent as a player, Atkinson obviously doesn't have the size and doesn't have that playmaking ability that Jake Voracek does, but Atkinson's a different type of player and uh, plays in different areas of the ice and gets to the blue paint and scores goals differently than Jake would be and, and maybe scores a few more than Jake. Jake's more of a playmaker. So a little different skill set that we, we thought lined up with our needs. Uh, there was a $2.4 million cap savings for the next three years, which um, you know, as, as you guys know, and, and Frank has written about recently, uh, every dollar counts. So there, there was a little bit of that element. And uh, But again, I think it was a move that uh, both Jake and I felt was necessary for, for both sides. And, and there's no animosity. We have a great relationship. And But I, I think this will help Jake. And I, I think this will be good for our group, too. Speaking of the cap, Chuck, um you know, when you, your mission and, and mandate sort of going into the expansion draft was pretty clear in the sense that you were going to leave some of your higher priced players uh, exposed and available to Seattle. Um, you know, Jake was one of those players. He ends up in Columbus. Shane Gostisbehere was another. He ends up in Arizona. But one guy that sort of remains is, is James Van Riemsdyk. What do you, what's, you know, there's a lot of emotion that comes with a player like that. Um, being available to be picked and then ends up not being picked. How do you handle that as a manager? And, and what kind of conversation do you have with a guy like JVR after the fact, you know, now knowing that he's going to be part of your team moving forward? Yeah, I, I spoke with JVR a couple of times prior to the expansion draft and I met with him subsequent to that. And, you know, I just explained to him and certainly no player wants to be exposed like that. And, and um, we had a pretty good honest conversation and, and, you know, with all my uh, conversations with Ron Francis and I had many of them, I felt there was very little risk in JVR being drafted uh, for, for cap reasons. I, we felt they would take a younger, cheaper player from our, from our club to keep their flexibility. And, you know, you never know. Uh, I, I, I may have misread the situation, but I said that to JVR by exposing you or just protecting another young 
cheaper player that we can now keep. And, and uh, we're pretty confident you're not going to uh, be selected. So that's the way it turned out. And, and we've had conversations after the fact. And again, I think the relationship will be fine. Um, he, he, you know, I think you're, there's the rational side and sort of you understand the logic, but yet clearly there's an emotional side too that you have to deal with. And, um, you know, I think the only way you get through that is by continuing to talk and work through it. And he's got an important role on our team. He played really well for us uh, last year in particular. And, and I think he's comfortable with that role going forward. One of those young players, important young players that was actually exempt from the expansion draft was Joel Farabee. Uh, he's coming off a season in which he led your team in goals with 20 as a 21, 20 year old, excuse me, in a shortened season. He's heading into the final year of his entry level deal. And with such a focus on the salary cap, how as a manager, do you balance, um, you know, sort of the risk that's involved here in the sense that, you know, do you get a deal done now and, and end up sort of making a bet? Uh, on a new contract or do you allow him to go into next season knowing that if he puts up similar type numbers over an 82 game season that it could end up costing a lot more where do things stand with Joel Farabee heading into the final year of his deal yeah I think both of those options uh, could be open and um, you know it's one of those things now we're, we're starting to look at uh, with our players that may you know you may be able to extend a year out and certainly our two RFAs uh, major RFAs in, in Sanheim and Hart and we also have Connor uh, Bunham. And so, you know, those are all the conversations we're having now to see if there's a fit and, uh, you know, understanding that the cap's going to be flat going forward. You know, there's pluses and minuses to getting ahead of things. And, and that's something we'll have to evaluate, you know, really on a case by case basis to see what makes sense. And where do you want to roll the dice? Where do you want to lock in? And where do you want to just wait and see how things play out? So uh, certainly those are conversations I'm sure every team's having and, and we, and, uh, you know, we're going to be having here too over the next few weeks. Chuck, uh, the last time the expansion came, you of course were in Minnesota, different organization, but in the exact same role as the GM. Do you, because this, this draft was a lot different, the approach a little bit from Seattle, but even the, the approach from a lot of the teams, what, what did you learn? Was it easier as a GM this time, having gone through it four years earlier, how different was your approach? Well, the approach was a little bit different in, in Minnesota. We were, um, we were a team that finished with 106 points. And if it wasn't for a horrific two week stretch in March, we may have won the president's trophy that year. We were a team that we felt was a Stanley cup contending team. And so our goals were a little bit different going into the expansion draft than what they were this year coming off a non-playoff season. So this year we were pretty comfortable uh, putting a list together and certainly had many conversations with Ron Francis to see if there was something they, we could help them out with, and maybe they could help us out in a different way. Uh, there was nothing we could really get done in advance. So we were comfortable letting them uh, make a selection in Minnesota. That team was a much deeper team. And, and, and that team was, uh, you know, frankly, a better hockey team than what, what we have here right now. And uh, so, you know, we, our goal there was to preserve uh, the core of the team. So clearly you learn things through experience, but I think situations were, were different for us. And, and uh, you know, we also had more time to prepare for the Seattle draft here and the, the Vegas draft kind of came upon us pretty quickly. And, and this one, we had a little bit more time maybe to get organized uh, probably to, to our benefit. Chuck, I want to talk a little bit just kind of about your journey as a general manager. Frank alluded earlier, you know, you were a player agent for some time, but 
Now, hockey management's literally in your blood, of course, uh, with your father, Cliff. Was were you were you drawn to that early because you saw your father in it all the time? And was 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 that kind of something you always expected? Like even when you were a player agent, were you like eventually I want to be a GM? Was that always your goal? It was, uh, to be honest with you. I wanted to be a player, but I realized by the time I was about eight or nine that it wasn't going to be good enough. So I, I played <laughs> hockey as long as I could through college and was never close to being a pro player. So I, I realized pretty early on that I, I loved hockey and had a lifelong exposure to it. My dad was great, brought me to brought me uh, to the to the rink on game days, and I run around the morning skates. I get to go to as many practices as I could on on weekends. I sat with them during games and. Every year he'd bring me on a road trip with the team. So I always felt like I was part of the team. And growing up in Calgary, uh, watching those very good Calgary Flames teams battle those uh, incredible Edmonton Oilers teams in the 80s was, you know, it was it was fun and exciting. And, and being around uh, that group, um, you know, made me want to, you know, be in the game as long as I could. And, and again, the, the hockey playing career was, was never going to happen. So this was my path. And was fortunate to get a break with Donnie Meehan and Newport Sports and to get in the game and, and, and learn the business side of the game through Donnie Meehan and Pat Morris. And, and a couple of years later, uh, Bob Clark gave me an opportunity when the Florida Panthers came into the league. And I'm grateful to him to this day. And I, I got that chance. And I remember saying to my wife, you know what, I, I may have to apply to law school here in a couple of years if, if I get fired and I'm no good at this. And and uh, you know things worked out where I didn't get fired for about 10 or 11 years, but at least I had enough of a resume to, to, to continue the journey and I didn't have to go back to school. And, and uh, here I am now, 54, whatever I am, and I'm, I'm still, still fooling them enough to get a paycheck every two weeks. What did starting out as an agent, you mentioned learning the business side, how much did that help you as a manager? You know, I think it's helped me a lot. I, I think I have a different perspective. I, I'm probably perceived to be more of, of a player's manager. If, if anything, I'm, I'm, I'm not perceived to be a hard line guy. I, I, I think coming in on the agency side, uh, Donnie and Pat got me involved early and working with the players. Obviously I was involved in, in some of the arbitrations. I wrote some of the arbitration briefs. I, I got to understand the player's perspective and, and I think that's helped me. And, and uh, when I do deals now, I think I approach it, a little bit differently. Obviously, you're trying to do what's best for your club, but you, you have to know what the player's looking for and what he's hoping to accomplish to get it get a deal done. So I think it's helped me a lot from from understanding the business side of it, understanding the player's perspective. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, certainly understanding that there's there's a human element on the other side that you're dealing with. And and I think that's one of my strengths is, is dealing with players and having a strong relationship with players. And I give a lot of credit to, to Donnie and Pat for, for bringing me along. Talk, how is Cliff 85 years old now, obviously still in an advisor role with the Toronto Maple Leafs and how much hockey is he watching? How much hockey are you guys talking? He watches every Maple Leaf game and most flyer games. You know, if, the, if there's a conflict, he's going to watch the Maple Leafs over the flyers, but uh, you know, he, he's been great and I get calls last year and, he would just be shaking his head. He said, obviously he didn't do a good enough job this year, but he, he, he's, uh, he's been great. He, he's always great for advice. He knows the game so well. He, he's still incredibly sharp and gets it and uh, a great sounding board. Even this summer, I was able to bounce some ideas off him and about certain signings and certain trades and what his perspective was. And he gave great perspective. He, he doesn't always agree with everything I, I do, but 
but uh, sometimes, uh, you know, there's things he'll bring up that I haven't thought of and, and uh, his experiences. He's been around the game so long, but what I like about him, he's no nonsense. He gets to, gets to uh, you know, what the answer should be right away and kind of cuts through all the, all the BS and, and, and lays it out there for me. But he's been invaluable for me. No better advisor than your dad. Uh, all right, Jay, let's play a little rapid fire and send Chuck on his way. Okay, Chuck, uh, the rules of rapid fire, you have to answer the question. We don't always make Billy Garen, Don Waddell, they all answer. So you have to answer the, uh, there's always a few fun ones. Um, uh, when, uh, when the Flyers, uh, let's say, clinch a series, what is uh, Chuck Fletcher's uh, drink of choice to celebrate after a big series win? A beer. Beer. Okay. Just a straight like lager, nail ale, you basic guy or what? Well, usually we only get a choice of Bud Light or something like that down there, which is fine. I like Bud Light, but yeah, nice lager would be great uh, with the coaches in the, in the coach's office. Best advice Cliff gave you on how to work a trade. Don't get caught up in, in, in the minor details. Uh, try to get the best player. Typically the team that gets the best player wins the deal and, and don't, don't lose sight of that in, in fighting uh, some of the smaller battles. As a GM, what is the hardest part of your job? Managing people uh, without a doubt. Uh, I probably spend more time, you know, working with the media, working with ownership, working with staff than I do on, on the player side of it. And, and uh, we have a very large staff and, and working with people and, uh, helping them with respect to their career, uh, making sure your, your staff is working together as a whole. Um, that those, those are usually the biggest challenges. When you were a little kid hanging around the flames and other organizations, uh, with your father, which player was the coolest one and treated you the best? Oh, so, so many of them. My favorite player in Atlanta growing up was a player named Ray Como played for my dad's team. And, treated me so well. Uh, everyone treated me well, but you know, in, 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 uh, in Calgary, you know, Mike Vernon, uh, Jim Poplinski, Tim Hunter, uh, Jamie McCowan. So, so many guys, uh, you know, Joe Newendike, uh, Theo Fleury, they, everybody treated me great uh, growing up and it was a great group. Those Calgary Flames, they were, you mentioned the orders were great. Well, the Flames were equally good. It was one of the best rivalries for a long time. But if you had to pick one player, a shorter guy in a big game to get you a goal, you have Doug Gilmore or Theo Fleury. Who do you pick? To get a goal? Theo Fleury. Yeah. Theo Fleury. All so right. Maybe set the goal up, Doug Gilmore. <laughs> All right. And, uh, and lastly, Chuck, if uh, the Olympics are on right now, you mentioned your hockey career. You knew early you couldn't do it. But let's just, if you had the ability, what's one Olympic sport that you'd want to partake in? Oh gosh. You stumped me. You stumped me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the 400. I think that's still from, from high school. I found that to be just a grueling race. I felt like I could only do a 300 and everybody else competing with did the 400. So that if, to be, to excel in the 400, you'd have to be, I think a pretty special athlete. See, oh. and I thought you were going to say water polo or something. <laughs> no, what is your, what do you do to stay in shape? What is, what does a day look like for, uh, for Chuck Fletcher athletically or working out wise? Not, not, not enough, not enough to do, uh, 
you know, probably run and, and do some circuit training three days a week. Uh, an ideal day would involve my executive workout, maybe a 30 minute sauna about six or seven days a week. That that's, that's, that's the uh, epitome of, of, of what I aspire to every day, getting that sauna in. And lastly, do you have a, a, a current or, or a recent GM that you bounce ideas off? Uh, somebody that you feel, you know what, I can trust him that we can, we can talk about our job. Well, around the business, it's, uh, there's two of them, Ray Shiro and Jason Botterill are, are guys that I, I speak to. And, and from another sport, Rick Spielman with the Minnesota Vikings has been uh, tremendous in, in helping me along in my career. And, and it's, it's been great because it's a different sport. We're obviously not competing, but just they do things a lot differently than we do in the NHL. And it, it's been a real eye-opener learning from him. And lastly, have you ever tried on the gritty costume? If not, would you like to? Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. That thing, imagine how much uh, he or she sweats in, in that, in that costume. There's no way I'd get near that. Oh, but it is the greatest uh, mascot right now in the NHL, bar, bar none. It's the best. Absolutely. And thank goodness for Gritty last year when we weren't winning a lot of games at home. So when the fans did come back, at least we had Gritty to distract them. Hopefully this year we won't need Gritty quite as much. Uh, well, Chuck, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. It's great to see you again. Yeah, thanks, Chuck. Hope you get a break in August here. Yeah, I appreciate it, Frank. Jason, yeah, thank you. Chuck Fletcher, what a beauty, Frank. I always enjoyed Chuck's honesty. Uh, he doesn't want to get in the gritty suit. What, what if they came to you for a one-day uh, one performance, Frank, as gritty? Not sure if I could fit in the suit. Honestly, like that's like that was probably requirement number one. And then as as Chuck mentioned, with all the sweat and whatever's going on, like yeah, they gotta clean it, man. He said yeah, dry cleaners. A hard no for me, dude. Uh, you never I, had I just, any mascot. I don't even like really interacting with people in general, let alone on that level. So <laughs> and I think my kids are terrified of it. So see, like it's fun, like and I wish I would have asked Chuck at the end afterwards, like who came up with that plan? Cause I'll say like gritty stands out. He I is wrote a story about it. It was part marketing, part uh, help from the Philadelphia flyers or sorry, the Philadelphia Phillies and the Philly fanatic. They yeah. sort of got the brainchild there and then they took the personality and, and whoever took it over really just brought it to life. The social media, the tweets um, it, it just went, honestly, it was a happy accident. I think. Uh, they were just looking to to create a mascot. They had no idea that it would generate this kind of buzz. Now, does the person who's actually gritty do they run their own his own or her own social media, or do they have a social media person who does that? I think it's in collaboration. Okay. Uh, I think they that person that is gritty has had to walk the line a few times in terms of some edgy tweets. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, hey. Uh, if you can get away with it and get people's attention, I think it's there's some good humor. It's harmless humor, in my opinion. So uh, I'll say this. Gritty has helped uh, that organization, no question. Uh, people talk about him. Uh, Gritty right here. Look, I mean, yeah. how many mascots are making it into my shot? Yeah, he's, he's, he's the most popular mascot going. The Philly Fanatic, right? Oopy, uh, formerly the uh, the Montreal Expos. When I think of uh, mascots, those are some of the top guys. For sure. Yeah, it's he's gritty's in the pantheon of pro mascots of all time in short order. Yeah. One of the best though was the videos of the Boston Bruins bear mascot. Remember when they used to shoot those commercials with him? Oh, he was hilarious. Still that a big fan of the Harvey, the hound when the player pulled off the, well, the McTavish. Tongue. Yeah. That yeah. was, awesome. well, he was, he was actually at a golf tournament in Calgary. Mac T was 
uh, this past week uh, raising money in, in Calgary. And uh, him and Harvey the Hound, they have a photo of him grabbing the tongue. So I, I'm a big Harvey the Hound fan. Yeah, he didn't pull it out, though, this time. Mac, Mac was a little bit calmer, a little bit calmer. Well, Frank, it's been fun. Uh, we will have Andrew Cogliano joining us on Friday. Have a good week off. Uh, we've pre-recorded all these just as a reminder again. So if anything happens um, on the, on this past weekend and we didn't ask Chuck about it, it's because uh, we pre-recorded that interview with Chuck Flesher. Thanks again for, uh, for listening to the DFO rundown. Uh, thanks for uh, recommending it to your friends. We appreciate it. You can read all of Frank's stuff at dailyfaceoff.com. We'll talk to you in a few, in a week. Thanks for listening to the DFO rundown with Sarah and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.